What's up, crew? Welcome to Whiskey and Water episode number two. We're uh, two episodes in now, working out some of the kinks. My name is Ryan Thompson. I'll be your host, and we're going to try and keep getting these out to you on the regular, and uh, hopefully bear with us as we try to get better all the time. Uh, In this uh, second episode, we're joined by our good friend Jim Klug from Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. If you don't know Jim or uh, the Yellow Dog story, uh, he is a well-traveled individual and has fished all around the globe, uh, lapped around it several times, no doubt. And he's also uh, one of the founding members of Confluence Films. Uh, In this episode, we talked to him about the new uh, Confluence Films project, as well as some new destinations and uh, uh, the state of the union, both in fly fishing travel industry as the whole on the whole and uh, a little background on Jim himself and and where the whole yellow dog endeavor came from. So good stuff. We think you'll enjoy it. Hope you dig it. This is Whiskey and Water with Jim Klug. Jim Klug, thanks for making some time to uh, join us here on the Whiskey and Water Fly Fishing Film Tour podcast, episode two. So we're we're just out of the gates. We're still uh, still working the kinks out, but uh, we're excited, and uh, we're here at the Yellow Dog offices in gorgeous downtown Bozeman, Montana. It's the end of October. This town gets better and more beautiful all the time, and uh, you guys have a killer spot here. Thanks, Ryan, and uh, thanks for having me on the on the program. This is great. Yeah, we're excited, man. And uh, you know, the the premise here is that we we want to uh, talk to you, hear some stories, and and being that you know the title of the thing is is uh, has whiskey in it. You know, it's going to be our habit on these episodes to uh, enjoy a little whiskey. Uh, it, you know, loosen up the vocal cords and uh, and some of the uh, the stories along the way. So we're uh, we're kicking things off with a little. We have. Uh, um, some Bozeman spirits, uh, distilled, uh, barreled, bottled right here in downtown Bozeman, Montana. I've not yeah. tried it yet. So even no, though it's, it's 10 stuff. in the morning, we're going to, yeah. we're going to try it out. Yeah. A little whiskey for breakfast. And, uh, we, we love it. Um, Mary Pat Harris, who along with her husband, Jim owned the distillery, uh, was a longtime yellow dog employee. Oh, very and, cool. I did not yeah. know the connection. So yeah, I'm glad I'm, I, I, I'm glad I chose. You brought uh, in the right kind of whiskey. Yeah. Keep perfect. it in the family. Well, yeah. cheers, man. Cheers. Thanks uh, again for having me. Absolutely. Mm. Ah, there Quick we little swill to kick things off. Things well, rolling. so there's going to be a lot of our listeners that are uh, familiar with Yellow Dog and uh, some of your adventures. Uh, you guys are a longtime supporter of the Fly Fishing Film Tour. Yeah. And uh, you wear a few hats. Uh, you know, you, uh, you Jim Klug, uh, writer, photographer, um, entrepreneur, uh, husband, father, all, all the above. If there, you know, is there one of the hats on the professional side that m- means any more uh, than others? If you were to be introduced at a uh, to at a party or a room full of people, you know, which one of those would you? Uh, and you could only pick one. Yeah. Well, aside from father and husband, I think if we're sticking on professional yep. side, um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I guess it is a lot of hats. I never really think of it that way, but. 
You know, one of the things about working in the fly fishing industry um, is you tend to have a lot of irons in the fire at all times, especially if you're in the travel business, if you're in kind of the adventure side of things. And, uh, you know, it, it, it started out super necessary to do a lot of those things. We've been fortunate mm -hmm. enough um, to really build the company, to build Yellow Dog over the years. Um, I've grown my photography business. I've uh, done a lot of writing and and I uh, just finished uh, my first book this last year. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'd say maybe you know, kind of adventurer. I always like cool. the, the sound of that. It's it's a term that uh, you don't hear a lot anymore because, uh, you know, I think back in the in like the 20s and 30s, that was actually a legitimate profession. Absolutely. Uh, now I think it means that, uh, you know, you're on the nine-year college plan or something and you're not really working. But. Well, I think there's an opportunity for Yellow Dog to bring back the, the National Geographic Society and, and, and uh, maybe that's a little bit of what you guys are doing. Send some folks into uh, obscure locations and, and figure out what might be there and, and some fish that can be pursued. Um, you know, it's funny you, you bring that up because the, uh, we have kind of a company motto and, uh, it's that, uh, it just simply says, go, no one ever regretted a life of adventure. That's right. And, uh, you know, I think that fits whether it's with fly fishing or, you know, a lot of outdoor pursuits or just traveling in general. And, yeah. uh, and we've always been very fond of those words for sure. Yeah. Nobody said, I really wish I would have just stayed home. <laughs> it's rare you hear that. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, you know, I'm familiar, and I think some of the listeners will be familiar with your your professional endeavors. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know where you grew up and and um, it, the the secondary to that is? Do you remember remember the first time that you picked up a fly rod? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in the West. I grew up in Bend, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, it was I think very different than the Bend of today. Um, admittedly, I haven't been back there a lot, but when I was a kid there, it was about 12,000 people. It was definitely still a, a mill town mm -hmm. um, before it, it really became what it is uh, these days, which I understand is quite large. I was just there last week, and it is uh, a sight to behold. It's the, a hip place these yeah, days, apparently. Man. Yeah, it is. It's it's <laughs> hip, and and but people are are embracing the outdoors in a big way, yeah. and uh, and the, the construction that's happening there is. Uh, pretty unbelievable but oh, i'm glad they're prospering and doing well oh for sure and and you know it was a great town to grow up in as a kid um you know i i literally grew up on the banks of the deschutes our house was on the river um i was fortunate enough to to start fishing at an early age the, the first time i picked up a flyer was with my grandfather um he's really the person that got me into fly fishing um but i, I got the bug early and mm -hmm. you know one of the neat things ryan is i I guess I was fortunate enough to really kind of grow up in the industry. I started working for a fly shop in Bend um, called the Fly Box back mm -hmm. in the day for a, a guy named Alan Stewart uh, when I was about 14 years old. And that was sweeping floors and bagging hooks and cutting up materials. And you know, it was before you ordered all your prepackaged fly tying yeah. materials. So he would get it in bulk mm -hmm. and, and dump it in front of us and say, okay, you know, bag away. Mm -hmm. and, and we did that. And uh, when I was about 16, uh, a neighbor of mine had a great company named Whitewater and Wild Fish, a guy named Craig Lacey. He ran multi-day trips on the Deschutes, and so he hired me to run the gear boats, and uh, that was great. You know, great education, great experience. Um, you know, watching some of the best guides on the river and, and really learning. Um, from there, I uh, started guiding when I went off to college, and would come back uh, from the East Coast where I was in school back to the West in the summers, guide, and and really, you know, just stayed in the industry. I, I uh, you know, when I graduated college. Um, I decided I would come back to Montana, where I'd been working for a couple summers at that point, uh, and guide for another year or two, and then figure out what I wanted to do in life. And that led to another year and another year. And um, you know, I've kind of been in the industry continuously, really, since I was about 14. So I feel super lucky to, to have grown up in fly fishing. And yeah, well, fly you've, fishing. you've obviously 
done well, and, and we'll talk a little bit about the 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 growth, the the physical growth that's happening here at the the Yellow Dog offices as we speak. But um, how did that transition from from guiding to um, to starting your own business? Where was the the inspiration to go? Man, I really think there's something here that I can do to help you know get people to some of these other places and and help them enjoy their own adventures. Well, you know, I, you know, again, guiding is, I think, the greatest thing you could do in this industry. You learn so much about people, about how to interact with, with clients, about how to, uh, you know, deal with all different types of people. And it makes you a, a, a better fisherman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to go out and fish well on your own. But when you uh, aren't going to be the one picking up a rod at all, when you're not fishing, but your job is to get oftentimes total neophytes into fish and, you know, short term basis, you know, you got to do it and you got to do it quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it teaches you a game for sure. Um, I loved guiding. I did it for years. Um, from there, I went on to become a sales rep for a number of different fly fishing manufacturers, mm-hmm. um, Scott and Ross and uh, JW Outfitters, a number of the older brands that unfortunately are no longer around. But uh, that was great. Um, that led to a job as national sales manager for Scientific Anglers, which at the time was owned by 3M Corporation. Mm-hmm. So here I've grown up guiding. I became a sales rep. And all of a sudden, I find myself sales manager working in 3M World Headquarters in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, you know, in a Fortune 50 company in a cubicle. And mm-hmm. I thought, this is exactly where I didn't want to be. The opposite tra- trajectory I thought I was Yeah. On. And and the irony was that, that fly fishing all of a sudden led me to this, you know, the habit trail that was 3M World Headquarters yeah. in, in Minnesota. That was, you know, it was a great job. I learned a lot and I was, uh, you know, it was, it was a valuable time for me. But that was right about when I, I started taking a hard look at, at the travel business. Um, I had a great friend named Logan Gentry um, who um, was a very close friend. He owned a lodge at the time in Belize. Um, I was spending a lot of time down there in Belize at that point. And at one point, um, I mean, I guess, you know, I would go down, I would bring friends. They would have friends that would call me for advice. And then, you know, that trickled down from there. And uh, during one visit, Logan sat me down and said, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but you're sending us a lot of business down here. And, And at that point, I didn't realize it. I hadn't even thought about it. And uh, he was the first one that said, you know, you really ought to think about getting into the booking game. And I immediately said, no way. You know, it's like, you know, fly fishing real manufacturers at the time. There were a million people trying to do it. It was a crowded field. And I thought, look, that's the last thing I want to do is get into travel and, and, um, you know, dealing with the logistics on that. But the more I started thinking about it and the more I started taking a look at some of the players that were out there, I said, you know, there's... I think some room and some opportunity here to get in, be aggressive and and do it right. Um, That was uh, about 17 years ago, almost 18 years ago. We uh, started out the first few years that we had Yellow Dog. All we did was book Belize. Um, Mm -hmm. It's funny, not too long ago, I found our very first brochure, which was like this little tiny trifold with some funny old pictures. And that was the start of things for us. Uh, We did Belize. That's all we did for the first couple of years. And then from there, we've obviously grown and expanded and built the business. But it's been a heck of a ride for sure. And it's, it's fun to see where, where it's taken us and where we are today. Well, uh, I want to get into a few of, uh, <clears throat> the locations. There's a, the long, a long list of, of places that, uh, you guys have are familiar with. And, um, the, another hat that you wear is, uh, as film producer and working with Chris Patterson in, in Confluence Films. And you guys are, uh, four films deep now and working on your fifth, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, this next one, uh, takes place in the Seychelles primarily. Yeah. And can you give some folks before we talk about the, the actual storyline and kind of the prof- 
premise behind that film. Can you give some folks backstory on the Seychelles? You probably know the the genesis of that location as a fly fishing destination, as well as just about anybody. But you know, it's 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 certainly um, gaining a lot of momentum in in front of the the eyeballs of folks and and, and interest um, even as far around the other side of the globe as it is. But an exciting place to fish and. Um, can you talk about a little bit about how that started and, and, and just a little bit about the fishery in general? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the other side business, as you mentioned, is Confluence Films. And it's funny that you bring up the Seychelles because I actually just got home from this project yesterday morning. Welcome and, back. Yeah. So, it, it, and uh, I'm still not only just brutally jet lagged, but I'm on a 12 hour time difference. So even though it's, it's uh, Friday morning in Bozeman and we're drinking whiskey, technically mm. it's, it's Friday night in the Seychelles. Perfect. So I think it's completely yeah. applicable. You want We want to ease you off. Totally. Jet lag. I pre, this you, is a you nice You don't want to go do cold Turkey. No, no, this is a good way to do it. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting trip home. It, it takes about, you know, from the time we left Provenance, it was about 56 hours to get back to Bozeman. Wow. So it's a haul, but you know, the Seychelles, you know, as you mentioned, it's uh obviously very popular these days there's a lot of momentum a lot of uh, attention that's being given the area and really for good reason you know it's it's an incredible resource there in my opinion and you know with all due respect to a lot of these other great destinations that we work with and book and send our clients to um there's just nothing on the planet quite like the seychelles you know it's out in the uh, middle of the indian ocean it's a tiny little island nation that uh, is home to probably the greatest diversity of saltwater species that can be caught on a fly rod. Um, you know, incredible numbers of fish, fish that are willing to eat a fly, uh, and uh, an ecosystem that's as pristine and untouched and untapped as I think anything you'll find on the planet. It's just incredible out there. Um, you know, every time I go to the Seychelles and, and visit these different fisheries and have a chance to step onto those flats, you know, you always feel like you're the first person uh, that, that's been there. And you now that's obviously not the case, although it still can be in certain mm -hmm. places of the Seychelles. But, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing destination. Uh, everybody always talks about the angling bucket list. You, mm -hmm. know, what, you know, where would you go? What would you do? Um, this has definitely got to be on that list. I mean, there's, there's really no place like it. Um, with this uh, most recent project, we just spent three weeks um, in the Seychelles. And I'll give you a little background on the story. Um, sure. As you mentioned, Chris and I have Confluence Films together. In the past, we've done four films, and they've always been kind of the multi-segment type format. Um, we based it on the Warren Miller ski mm -hmm. films formula, which is, you know, 68 years, I think, proven yeah, 66, success. 66. 66, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, what we did with our, our previous films, Drift, Rise, uh, Connect, and Waypoints, was the films were made up of a number of different and individual segments. They were all about 15 minutes long, then the story would change and the characters would change. Um, what we had always talked about doing, though, was really rolling our sleeves up and diving into one particular story, where we could make a feature full-length film about one destination and one story. Um, big departure from what we've done in the past. We knew it would have to be a great story, a compelling story, a great location, and we really found that um, in the Seychelles. So uh, long and short of it is the out islands of the Seychelles, um, Providence, Cosmolito, a stove. Um, they were very much on people's radars about seven years ago. They were just kind of the new hot spots that very few people had fished, but a lot of people were starting to talk about it. Um, all of a sudden, out of the blue, up pops this little Somali pirate problem. Um, they've got the liveaboards that were operating on these islands uh, about six, seven years ago. 
um, one of the lead fly fishing so boats. By, so liveaboards, yeah. this is a mothership essentially that, that folks are fishing from. They're traveling around to the out islands by way of a larger ship yeah. and then dropping pongas or flats boats and then continuing fishing from. Correct. The it's okay. a, a mobile platform because uh-huh. these are islands that were totally uninhabited, no lodge, no infrastructure. So the boat would roll in your mothership and that was your platform from which to fish. It's a very cool kind of expeditionary Jacques Cousteau-esque way to to uh, reach some of these super remote ecosystems and, and a great platform from which to base. Well, all of a sudden, the, the number one boat that was out there, which was called Indian Ocean Explorer, gets hijacked by Somali pirates. Uh, there's a great book about it called 88 Days. Um, the pirates just missed all of the fly fishing clients, literally by hours, who had just left the boat to fly back. Uh, they end up um, grabbing the Indian Ocean Explorer and taking the crew hostage, taking it back to Somalia. It's an amazing story. Um, and with the background of this and the fact that immediately upon that happening, the Seychelles government shut down all out islands uh, for fly fishing and for really any kind of access. So everything's been closed for the last six years. Well, for the last few, we've been working on this story and thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could get permission to go back in, be one of the first back into the out islands, return with some of the original crew that had started it, um, and some that were involved in this whole hijacking. And that's essentially what we put together. So we just wrapped up uh, filming and production on the first part of the movie. Um, We spent three great weeks there. Um, We had great interviews. We had incredible fishing. We had... You know, a lot of the uh, interesting adventures and hardships that you might imagine, including, you know, crazy weather situations and shark situations and travel situations. Uh, but it was neat. You know, it was neat. All the stuff us. you yeah. want that plays plays well on film, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I think so. And, and you really don't have to look far for it in the yeah. Seychelles. It's still yeah. a pretty remote kind of off the grid um, place where anything can and does happen. So what's the status of the fishery now in that zone that was closed? The out islands, yeah. So it's gradually being reopened, but it's still being very controlled by the Seychellois government. For instance, uh, a limited number of launch dates. It's uh, uh, only so many anglers that can go in on certain weeks. Um, each of the mothership slash liveaboard operations um, has to include a number of the vessel protection detachment um, soldiers on board. So there are armed guards on board mm-hmm. for now. Um, hopefully that changes. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, is the piracy problem over there. Well, well, still a possibility. It's, it's definitely subsided. Um, yeah. You know, the, the game has changed over there. And I think a lot of the people that were um, engaged in the piracy out of Somalia are either gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's a big Navy presence that showed up and mm-hmm. took care of a lot of that. Or the dynamics have shifted. So um, definitely much safer than it was six years ago. Um, I don't think the government would, would allow us back in there if they didn't feel that way. But, you know, during our, our three weeks back there, I mean, we had guards on the boat. You know, they were yeah. out there. Do they go out and fit when you take a smaller boat out in the flats? you have armed guard along with you? No, we have radios. And mm-hmm. so you're checking in with the mothership each day. And, you know, the night before you sit down and you look at the grid of the atoll and you talk about what region or what area you're going to be fishing. Um, and so, yeah, they, I mean, they're, they're pretty security conscious right now for sure. Well, yeah. that sounds, sounds exciting. And you yeah. were... Uh, Working with uh, the Fly Castaway crew, yeah. over there, yeah, the boys um, out of South Africa. And yeah. how did how did the fly fishing become an industry? You know, as far as you know, do you know some of the backstory on some of the folks that were first going out there and going, yeah, we want to take some, you know, this is yeah. a destination we want to share with other people. Well, you know, that's one of the things that we were really excited about, you know, with this film. Um, we've become great friends with the guys from Fly Castaway and, and a lot of the other South African guides that work for the other companies over mm-hmm. there. 
Um, but collectively, there's like 40 of them. I mean, yeah. if you look at Alphonse Fishing Company, if you look at Fly Castaway, if you look at, at the uh, the operators that are running the different fishing locations in the Seychelles, they're all from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these are the guys that pioneered the fishing over there. I mean, they were some of the first in. They figured it out. They put this on the map and, and created the kind of infrastructure that allows destination anglers to go over there and fish. And I, I could not be more impressed by, you know, the South Africans as a whole with their attitude towards fishing, towards exploration, towards pioneering these fisheries. I mean, some of the toughest, most fearless guys ever, and some of the, the finest guides um, I've ever fished with. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. And you know, it's funny you bring that up. I, you know, being here in Bozeman, you know, here we are fly fishing Mecca of the sure. whole world. And you go into any bar here in, in town these days and you'll find it full of fishing guides. And it's what we all were, you know, back in the day. And you know, you got the young guys with the dirty hats on, mm-hmm. and, you know, new, new drift boats that are hitched to the <laughs> front of the truck or the back of the truck out in back of the bar. And, you know, it's funny to hear everybody talking and the guy's like, oh, yeah, man, it was brutal on the Madison today. You should have seen, you know, the line at the boat ramp, super tough day. And uh, that hasn't changed. It's always been yeah. that way. But then I think about what these guys deal with on, on you know, a given day, quote unquote, at the <laughs> office. It's like, yeah, we had a 12 foot bull shark. We have Conus Geographus, uh, you know, uh, cone shells that uh, if you step on one will kill you. You've got stonefish. You've got pirates. You've got, you know, cyclones. I mean, you got just this crazy work environment in which these guys operate and really in which they went into years ago being first in and trying to figure it all out. I just so blown away by the whole South African fishing culture and what they've accomplished, um, not just in their own backyard, but certainly in the Seychelles. I mean, they're the ones that, that put this fishery on the map. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about uh, there's still some spots where you can be uh, one of the first people out on the flats. Anything in that zone or that you want to talk about or that those guys are exploring or expanding into? What's the next kind of Alphonse Cosmoledo yeah, you know, there, there's still a lot of these out islands, Provenance being mm-hmm. a perfect example, the largest uh, atoll, probably one of the least fished in, in the Seychelles. So um, they showed up and, you know, between now and, and seven years ago, the last time they were there, all of a sudden we've got these great Google maps and, you know, we've blown them up and we're rolling them out on the table in route to Provenance and we're looking at these areas and plotting them on the map saying, okay, um, you know, we're going to get over here and we're going to use this creek at high tide as it cuts through the atoll. We're going to push and, uh, and get over to this far eastern side where, you know, no one's ever fished, you yeah. know, for, for an absolute certainty. No one's ever walked some of those flats. No one's ever fished those flats. Um, from a fly fishing perspective. From, certainly like, from a fly fishing perspective. Um, like Polynesian, you know, you know folks. Yeah, sub- Seychelles, yeah. Um, you know, commercial fishermen maybe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, that's probably more blue water for the tuna sure. that might be around the atoll and not necessarily getting onto the flats and going after the bumphead parrotfish or the GTs or the mm-hmm. permit or the bonefish. So, you know, it, it's uh, it's pretty neat to still be able to go to a place where you know with absolute certainty, you know, no one's ever walked that area before. No one's ever walked that area with a fly rod in their hand before. So that was uh, still doable over there, which is neat. That's very cool. Yeah. Are there uh, inhabitants on, on the atolls? No. So uh, there's still a lot of these out islands that are uninhabited. Mm-hmm. Um, Provenance is one of them. Um, you know, some of the out islands have small settlements um, owned by the Island Development Corporation where... They have you know, coconut production, uh, you mm-hmm. know, coconut oil and, and uh, byproduct production. There might be, for instance, like on Farquhar, um, I think there's maybe 15 people that live there. 
Um, others like Providence are totally uninhabited right now. So nothing there, no airstrips. You got to yeah. arrive by boat, yeah. um, no place to stay on land. And yeah, it's pretty amazing. You're not going to run into a boat full of celebrities or, um, you know, no uh, European tourists uh, touring around the white sand beaches there. No, no, uh, no speedos and, uh, uh European, uh, you know, tourists on the beach. Um, uh, what <laughs> is, uh, when are you guys looking to, uh, have the film finished and, and out. Yeah, well, right now the plans are spring of 2016, so probably a March-April time frame. Um, we're still kind of going to see how final production goes on that and editing, of course. Sure. But, you know, we had a great shoot. We got a lot of really good material. We're looking at something uh, probably late spring in 2016. Awesome. Yeah. Well, looking forward to it. And uh, speaking of destinations that are, you know, they're going to be uh, – it's a little bit closer, uh, but uh, something that's going to be new to uh, a, a lot of American anglers uh, is Cuba. Yeah. And when I came in here this morning, uh, um, Kristen, one of your uh, um, uh, travel liaisons, was uh, setting up some travel for you um, returning from Cuba. Now, you've been yeah. there a handful of times. You know, Folks are probably familiar with the, the, the fantastic flats fishing avail- available there. Yeah. But there's pro- a lot of challenges facing that country and that fishery as the wall comes down, as tourism becomes more um, easily accessed. And, you know, can you speak to some of those, the, the yeah, challenges absolutely. that that place is going to face? No, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's an incredible destination. Um, we've been fishing Cuba for probably the last 18 years. Um, I think of our staff, we probably have nine people from here at Yellow Dog that have spent time and fished Cuba, most of them multiple times. Um, I've been super fortunate to be going down there quite a bit over the last 18 years. Um, and it's great. You know, it, it is really a, a truly unique place. Um, we're very excited about the, the changes. Um, there are now um, legal and open ways for Americans to go down and fish. It's very doable. Um, you know, there's a couple small hoops that you still have to jump through. But, you know, everything's changing on a monthly, sometimes a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, both countries have opened uh, you know, respective embassies. Um, there's now all kinds of direct flights from the U.S. Um, things are just changing so quickly, it's kind of hard to keep track of. But um, we've positioned ourselves here at Yellow Dog to very much be on the forefront of that. We're already sending a ton of people down and, and very excited about those opportunities. You know, it's it's a neat place. I will tell you, um, there's, there's a lot of hype and excitement about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, partially with good reason, because, mm-hmm. you know, what's not to love about going to a place that, we seemingly haven't been allowed to go for the last five decades. Um, There are some realities though, for the traveler and for the angler um, that we're always pretty quick to point out. Um, One, yes, the the fishery is incredible and it's largely untouched and the ecosystem is still very pristine. I mean, from the coral reefs to the, you know, huge numbers of conch and lobster that you find all over the, uh, the flats. It's, it's a pretty amazing place. Um, That said, it's not Disneyland and a lot of people have it in their heads, especially, you know, American anglers with, and it's been locked off for 65 years. No one's fished it. I'm going to go down there and be the first in. And that's not the case. I mean, mm. there's been a lot of Europeans. There's been a lot of Canadians. And heck, there's been a lot of Americans that have been down there fishing, yeah. you know, over the last 20 years. So, uh, yes, it's great. But in the end of the day, it's still saltwater fishing. And we're mm-hmm. very quick to point that out to our, our, our customers and our anglers. I've had some of the best um, saltwater fishing I've ever had in my life down there, Ryan. And I've also had some of the toughest because at the end of the day, you know, it's still bonefish, permit tarpon that are spooky species by nature. It's still, you know, very much um, subject to the whims of, of mother nature and conditions and, and, you know, weather and all of that. So um, it's important to keep that in mind and have realistic expectations. The other thing that, that's important to know about Cuba, um, 
the infrastructure of the country is still, well, it's, I mean, it's completely broken. You know, yeah. anybody that, um, you know, thinks that the great communist experiment, you know, was a, a raving success just needs to spend 10 minutes in Havana mm-hmm. and you'll see a city that's just crumbling. Um, mm-hmm. Their hotel infrastructure is, is very challenged. Um, there's just a lot of things about it that, um, yeah, it's improving. And, and I think we're going to see leaps and bounds in the near future uh, as far as tourism infrastructure. But right now it's still um, a largely broken country. Yeah. Um, that said... I think that's the reason to go see it right now. Right. I mean, the Cuba of today, I guarantee you, is is very different than what we're going to see of the Cuba from four or five years from now. And the biggest reason to go to Cuba in the near future is to see and fish Cuba now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fishing is going to probably stay very good. They can't, you know, double and triple the size of the fishing infrastructure down there and the number of guides. So that's not really going to change. It's going to yeah. stay good. And honestly, the equipment and the guides are probably just going to continue to evolve and get better. Uh, but what is going to change is the whole Cuban travel experience. And and for me, that's why you go to Cuba. You know, if that's not important, then heck, go to the Bahamas or go to Belize. Right. Go to the Yucatan. The fishing's great. Right. Uh, but if you're going to go to Cuba, make sure it's because you want to see and experience Cuba. You think there's anything in place either, you know, that the government's going to do or that that uh, uh, motivated uh, Cuban citizens are going to do to uh, help stem the tide a little bit of the, you know, I think there's a, a bit of a sense that, you know, go see Cuba now because, you know, four or five years from now, there's going to be a, a KFC on every corner or, you know, the big American um, commercialism is going to push in there in a big way. Yeah. Do you see, you have any sense of, of what that you think that growth might look like? You know, you got a, an island nation of 11.3 million people, and they've been, you know, getting by for five, six decades with nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're pretty hungry for change. I think you are going to see an influx of, of American businesses and fast food restaurants, and you're going to see some pretty changes, uh, pretty mm-hmm. big changes. Some of them are going to be for the better. Others are going to sit back and be like, wow, wait, you know, we really messed that up pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Uh, but it's you know it's hard to blame that the Cuban populace they're going to want it all and they're going to want it quickly yeah. um, because they've been getting by with very little for a long time. Um, I, you know I don't know how to answer your question. I think the change is going to be pretty radical. I think it's going to be pretty quick. I hope I'm wrong. You know when mm-hmm. it comes to you know a, a KFC or a fast food chain and yeah. you know in old Havana and there will be some areas like old Havana which is a UNESCO heritage site. It, you know that will be protected, but. You know, there's a lot of people down there that that are ready for that, and I think that you know there's a lot of American businesses that see that opportunity. So, sure. um, the Cuban cultural experience, I think, is is probably going to see some big changes in the near future. That would be my prediction. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the uh, on the Yellow Dog destination list, you you guys have a, a, a cool model that is you know, um, you go and try it first, or somebody from the Yellow Dog staff has firsthand knowledge of, yeah. of that location or that lodge and that experience. Is there any place right now that you guys have yet, uh, you know, a corner of the globe, a destination where you, you don't go currently, but you're looking forward to sending someone and, and kind of opening up. Yeah, uh, for sure. An opportunity? You know, and, and that's always been our philosophy. Um, we don't sell it if we don't know it and everything that's in our lineup, everything that's, um, you know, listed in the yellow dog collection, I guess, if you will, um, our destinations where we've been there, you know, we go there on a regular basis. We keep our finger on the pulse. Um, bottom line is, is we don't try and sell what we don't know. Um, we've got a great team. We've got about 20 people that work here at yellow dog. Um, <clears throat> half of our staff are uh, what we call our program managers. And, um, each program manager specializes in a particular area or a particular region. They become, 
um, the kind of quote-unquote expert for fishing in that area. They go down, they visit all these lodges, they go back on a regular basis. Um, if you call Yellow Dog and you say, hey, I want to fish the Yucatan, well, you will talk to our Yucatan program director. If you say, I want to fish New Zealand, you'll talk to our New Zealand program director. You'll be on the phone with someone who's not trying to be all things to all people, but really does focus on a particular area. And it's been a business model that's worked great for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm immensely proud of the team of people that we have here. We have just an unbelievable staff, and you know, everyone's got a, a pretty deep uh, and thorough background in, in the world of fly fishing. So, you know, I, I would probably say that's the biggest reason we've grown like we have is because yeah. of the people that we have. Um, you know, as far as, as places we haven't touched yet, um, there's a few for sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about some of our, our recent additions to, to the program and some of our expansions through new hires. Um, uh, we've got New Zealand that's come online this last year. Cuba, of course. Iceland is a, is a big new one for us. We're really excited about the uh, both the trout and the salmon fishing in Iceland. Um, can I, can you expand yeah. on that just a little bit? The last, when I saw you, uh, in Florida at ICAST, you were just getting ready to, to head off, uh, to Iceland for the first time. Can, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that fishery and oh, your experience? Yeah, there? it was amazing. And, and, uh, we were lucky enough to spend a few weeks over there in July. Um, you know, you've always heard about the Atlantic salmon fishing in Iceland, which is good. It's very good and, uh, very classic and, you know, tiny Atlantic salmon, you know, classic flies swung in the traditional sense on crystal clear waters. It was great. Uh, the thing that absolutely blew my mind, however, and, and probably the thing I'm most excited about is the trout fishing in the northern part of the country. Um, huge, wild, indigenous brown trout, uh, many of which are, are not only seriously large, but rise readily to dry flies. I mean, it was incredible trout fishing. It uh, very much uh, looked like kind of fishing the Madison or some of these rivers that we have here close to Bozeman, but obviously no people, um, you know, only brown trout in there and they're all big. So it yeah. was, uh, it was incredible. I mean, I, I got to tell you that, uh, for people that love to catch big trout, it's probably going to be one of the next big places. It's a four and a half hour flight from New York. Wow. Um, it's an incredible country full of amazing people and, and really big, beautiful, wild trout. So it was impressive. I loved it. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's the, the backdrop we've, we've seen, uh, a, a little bit in, in, uh, the tour a couple years, uh, pieces from RC Cone, who's done some, some shooting over there and, yeah. and just an absolutely beautiful, oh, beautiful gorgeous. backdrop, uh, gorgeous backdrop for some great fishing. Yeah. Um, so I, I interrupted, but I, I did want to hear about Iceland. So, um, kind of new locations, things, places yeah. you guys are headed, you know, um, right now we're, we're working about 23 different countries. We have about 165 different lodges and destinations in those different countries, including a lot in the U S of course, a lot domestically, but, uh, you know, we get a lot of calls from people asking about fishing throughout Europe. Um, that's something that we really don't do at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think down the road, that's something that we'll probably look at and, and hopefully, you know, build some partnerships over there and, and expand our offerings to, you know, include maybe Spain or Ireland or Scotland, some of these places that uh, I, I know have fantastic fishing. Um, you know, our only Russian operations right now are in Kamchatka. And, you know, we love the big rainbow fishing over in Kamchatka. It's incredible. Um, but, you know, as far as the Atlantic salmon fishing goes in Russia, that's something we don't do yet. And we'd probably be looking at down the road. Um, I think Australia and Tasmania probably have some potential. So, uh, you know, yeah, there's quite a few places we're going to continue to look at. But, you know, we, we also aren't in a big hurry to grow. You know, we want to be good at what we do. And we don't just want to offer it to try to be all things to all people. You know, we, we really want to know what we sell. Um, we want to be able to offer great value to our customers and clients that book through us. You know, these days anybody can, you know, read information on the internet. And if we're just regurgitating that without, you know, kind of that personal experience and hands-on experience, 
um, that doesn't do anybody any good. So we really, you know, take our time to learn these areas um, and, and be able to offer a lot more than people can find on their own by, by booking through us. That's our, our mantra for sure. Yeah, I think as, as lodges expand and as outfitting operations expand uh, in various areas, it, it becomes hard for the person who's never been to kind of wade through what's the most quality experience. So there's definitely a benefit there. What would you tell somebody who's um, maybe a little bit younger in their, you know, their late twenties, thirties, they're, they're um, they've put together enough scratch that they can, you know, um, go do a little destination fishing. But the, the idea of booking through a yellow dog, seems like an extra expense or an extra step that I don't, I don't need to do that because I, you know, I can figure this out on my own. I can look to Google help. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously there's a lot of resources that exist that didn't used to, but the big thing, and, and it's something we consistently um, try to put out there in all of our marketing and advertising is uh, if you book any trip that we offer direct with the lodge or the outfitter, or you book that same trip with yellow dog, it's exactly the same price. And a lot of times people can't figure that out, but the way that the formula works for us, Ryan, is we get paid commissions on the back end. So if you book a, a bone fishing trip and let's say it costs $3,000 and you go to the lodge and they say, yep, that's the package, $3,000. Well, you can come to Yellow Dog, okay? That same exact package, $3,000. Mm-hmm. Not a dime more, no hidden fees, no hidden surcharges, but here's what you're getting. This is important. You're gonna get on the phone with someone that you can talk to on a regular basis. Um, you know, you try to make a, a call to some of these countries um, and get someone that you can communicate with and spend time with on the phone. That can be difficult. Well, here you've got that program director that knows that fishery, knows that area, and can really spend a lot of time with you answering your questions, making sure you're prepared. You've got uh, you know deep background. You've got the technical uh, capabilities of being able to say, hey, let's discuss equipment. Let's make sure that you've got the right gear, the right flies. I mean, that's huge. Um, you know, you've got uh, you know that accountability. Uh, let's say you're booking a trip to Guatemala or Bolivia or someplace like that. You send an email off and the outfitter says, yep, absolutely. Wire me $8,000 and we'll see you in 11 months when you get here. Well, you know, that mm-hmm. can be a little bit uncomfortable for yeah. some people. You know that when you're working with Yellow Dog, that's not going to be an issue. Um, you know, there's so much more that you get out of the trip for the same exact cost. More information, more technical support, more travel support all for the same amount. You know, we, we have a, a saying we're always fond of. It's kind of like a, a backstage pass to the world of fly fishing. You know, you can go and you can see the show and you can sit way in the back mm-hmm. and up in the nosebleed seats. And you know what? It's going to be the same music, right? You're going to see the same show. Or you can go and imagine being backstage, you know, front row, behind the scenes, all that, you know, VIP treatment. That's exactly what you get with Yellow Dog. And you get it for the same exact cost. It's, uh, it's, it's a great service. Um, you know, once people book with us one time and kind of come to understand that, uh, literally it becomes, okay, that was awesome. Where am I going next? And yeah. then, you know, they become clients for life, which is great. Well, and it's cool. You guys have definitely done your homework and some of that doesn't come easy in some of these locations. I mean, there are uh, a lot of uh, logistical challenges. There's challenges on the ground, political situations that are uh, um, uneasy to say the least. Yeah. And what's the What's the most challenging or hair-raising situation you've been in uh, personally? <laughs> Either this can be in the last yeah. 17 or this can be pre-Yellow Dog. Um, you know, I, there's been a, a couple interesting ones. I mean, some, you know, Obviously, doing a lot of exploration in some of these third world countries, you know, there's always interesting moments with, you know, small aircraft and uh, political instability and, and, you know, places like uh, mainland Venezuela and, and things like that. I think probably the, the scariest, most hair raising situation I had was 
years ago, um, this is probably 14, 15 years ago, when we were just getting started. I was down in Honduras and, uh, you know, traveling to get to the out islands and got caught in a bank robbery down there. That was pretty interesting. You know, you get a lot of guys firing off, you know, automatic weapons and dropping people left and right and robbing this bank. And, and, uh, that was something that surprised me a little bit. So yeah, yeah that was a little dicey. Um, you know, I think the other things probably have to do with, uh, you know, planes and boats and, and sure. tough weather and, yeah. and dodgy situations. But, you know, so far, so good. We've been we've been lucky. And, you know, that's a you bring up a good question. I mean, we you know, we've been to places where we'll go down and, and we know the fishing is good. And we've heard from a lot of people uh, that we respect or through the grapevine that the fishing is good. And we go down there and it is. I mean, it's it's legitimate fishing. And we check out everything else about it and we say, absolutely not no way are we going to send clients here this is way too sketchy or it's too dangerous or it's not safe and and so it doesn't end up making the yellow dog lineup but you know that's part of the uh you know the research and the legwork that you have to do um so that when people do book through us they feel comfortable and and we have you know we have uh very safe easy nice trips hey bring your significant other bring your kids bring non-anglers five star super nice and then we have the total opposite end of the spectrum you know rugged hardcore out there you know very rustic fishing focused Uh, and then we have everything in between but you know we we definitely offer that spectrum and and depending on what you're looking for who you're traveling with what kind of experience you want you know we really try to put together the kind of offering where we can cater to you know both ends of that spectrum and everything in between Mm mm-hmm uh, we're uh, in uh, Yellow Dog offices here, which is a, a retrofitted home uh, not far from uh, Main Street in downtown Bozeman. And when I first came through here um, about four years ago, we stopped in to um, pick up some materials before our, our Bozeman film tour stop. And you probably had seven, eight people working in here. Uh, you guys are just getting back into your digs today or this week after being out and while the the home the office was was remodeled because now you have is it 18 or so yeah almost 20 you know i think we're at 19 now um it's growing <laughs> yeah absolutely wow. so you know that's happened you know in a it, you guys have been doing this for a while but there's been a lot of growth here in the last four years um what can you attribute either to what you guys have done or what's happening in the fly fishing industry that's you know created yeah. precipitated some of that growth no it's it's uh yeah, it's funny. We, as, as you mentioned, we we bought this old house um, years ago, and it's right in downtown Bozeman, in the historic district. And it was built in like 1892. And we came in and we gutted everything. We turned it into an office complex, and then we've kind of slowly outgrown it to the point where people were working in hallways and you know set up on fold up tables. And um, we. Uh, went through the city and got approval to actually do a big expansion and renovation of the deal and just added about eight new offices and a whole second floor. And, um, one of those nightmare projects where, um, you know, you think it's going to be quick and think it's going to be easy and and it's way over budget, way behind schedule, but we actually moved back in this week. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty excited about that. Um, and what was the first part of the question? The, Sorry. I'm still kind of jet lagged. Yeah. Yeah. No worries, man. And drinking Um, whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Drink up and, uh, so, you know, what are some of the things you guys think, you, you know, that you attribute that growth to? Got I mean, it. Yeah. You've been doing this for um, close to two, two decades, but the yeah. last four years especially seems to have ramped up. And, and yeah. uh, fly fishing as, as an industry, you're, you're certainly, you're the president of AFTA for a while, the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. You, you, you've got your finger somewhat on, as much on the pulse as anybody as what this uh, industry is experiencing. You know, what's your sense of, of, of 
state of the union? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a good question. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be optimistic about for our industry. And I think there's some real challenges that we have down the road. Um, you know, as far as our growth and our success, um, I always attribute it first and foremost to, you know, the staff that we have. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so proud of the team that we've assembled and I get to walk in here every morning and, you know, see this phenomenally talented group, guys like Doug McKnight and Sean Lawson and John Hudgens and, you know, Camille Eggdorf. And you know, we've got just this unbelievable staff with this deep background in, in fly fishing, guides, former lodge managers and former shop owners. And, you know, when someone calls in and talks to anyone here at Yellow Dog, they're talking to people that are legit, people mm -hmm. that have, you know, grown up in this industry and, and know it inside and out. I think that's probably the biggest reason we've been so successful is, is the team that we've been able to assemble. But, you know, it's simple, old school stuff. You know, we take great care of our clients. We take it personally. You know, it's not just a cookie cutter, turn that trip around, answer the next phone call. I mean, we treat every trip as if it's, you know, a trip that we're doing ourselves. And, and uh, you know, I think that resonates well with people. They know they're being well taken care of. And, you know, we believe in that old school, hands-on customer service approach. And, I think that's getting harder to find these days. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that our staff does it very well. Um, you know, during the, uh, the recession, when everybody kind of pulled back and stopped traveling, um, we saw a lot of our competitors uh, back off. You know, they stopped advertising. They stopped, um, you know, sponsoring great events like the film tour. They stopped, uh, you know, going to the consumer shows. And, you know, we looked at that as an opportunity. And, and instead of sticking our head in the sand, we kind of doubled down on all those things. We did more shows, you know, we upped our sponsorship with the film tour and other great events. We, you know, we're running more ads, doing more travel ourselves to, you know, expand our, our offerings and do more research. And, and I really think that's paid off for us in, in droves in the last three or four years, you know, mm -hmm. that's really come back to us. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of reasons that, that we've been successful and, and reasons that we've grown like we have, but, uh, you know, it's a combination of, of being aggressive in our marketing, you know, mm -hmm. going after it and, and backing it up with, with a great staff that, that takes great care of people, no doubt. Um, as far as the industry goes, I, I think that, you know, the state of fly fishing right now is largely healthy. I mean, the, you know, not everyone is, is doing exceptionally well, but I'll tell you the people that are doing it right are doing well. I look mm -hmm. at the, you know, uh, probably the top 100 retailers in this country, a lot of, of whom, you know, work with the film tour and, right. and um, do these independent, you know, screenings when they come to their area, mm -hmm. you know, those are the guys that get it, you know, they're, they're killing it right now. Right. Whereas you talk to other fly shops and they're, they're hurting, mm -hmm. um, manufacturing the same way. You've got certain manufacturers that are very aggressive and very dynamic, um, and really, you know, getting out there and doing new and exciting things. Well, it's no mistake that those guys are the ones that are killing it right now. They're yeah. doing well, um, where others are kind of dying on the vine. So I think that the state of the industry right now is very good for, some people. Um, I do think like all of the outdoor industry, um, we do face some challenges in the long term. And that's, you know, just, you know, keeping people engaged with outdoor pursuits, making sure that, you know, we're bringing in the next generations, not just onto the river with a fly rod in their hands, but into the outdoors, you know, right. whether it's hunting or backpacking or, you know, kayaking, you know, certainly fishing, whatever it is. Um, you know, as, as a father with three young kids myself, you know, I, I see how these kids are so focused on dialing up, logging on, clicking, you know, through mm -hmm. and, and doing the whole deal where it's this, you know, constant state of connectivity where, you know, a lot of kids these days say, well, oh, fishing? Absolutely. I got a killer app for that. Or I got a game for that. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. like, no, absolutely not. You know, it's one thing 
to be losing um, the next generations of outdoor recreationalists and saying, well, yeah, okay, the rivers aren't going to be as crowded. Um, boy, it'll be great when I get old because I'll have it to myself. But the big challenges that we face, and, and you know this as well as anyone, Ryan, conservation-wise, you know, people are engaged with and protect and fight for what they love and yeah. what they're involved with and what they're passionate about. And you remove, you know, an entire generation from that connectivity to the outdoors and you're going to lose the advocates for keeping those places right. open and special and pristine and, and protected. And that's, I think as an industry, that's probably the biggest challenge that we're facing right now. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. The, uh, on a retailer perspective, we work with north of a hundred fly shops around the country. And, you know, I could give you the list of, of those that are doing it really well and just crushing it. And then others that are, as you said, kind of withering on the vine. And the, the one thing that unifies those, uh, shops that are doing really well, aside from some have just a banger location, but they're inclusive. Yeah. They're inclusive to all folks that walk through the door and really make that priority number one, mm-hmm. where the fly shop model of, you know, um, you know, looking in questioningly at the person that came in the door and, and not treating those that don't have knowledge the way that you treat the ones that already do have knowledge uh, is not doesn't work anymore. Doesn't work. And it the, used to be that way. Yeah. I mean, you'd kind of walk into a shop and they'd look you up and down and be like, yeah, well, I don't know if this guy deserves to be in here. Right. Um, but I'll tell you what, I mean, you think of, you know, some of the biggest retailers, including one that was huge. They were huge in travel. They had big catalog business. They were famous for that, you know, having a, a whole heaping side of attitude with everybody mm-hmm. that walked in. And guess what? Those guys are gone. Yeah. You know, they were one of the most powerful retailers in the history of the industry. They're gone. Yeah. You know, they're out of business. And, you know, people these days have too many options. You know, you can go to Amazon. You can go online. You know, you, you need a reason to go into a specialty retailer these days. And one, I mean, I think the biggest reason, it's not an easy sport. You know, it's not like buying a set of golf clubs online or buying, um, you know, basketball equipment or something. I mean, there's a lot of technical aspects involved with fly fishing where you need some help with it. Um, so that's, you know, one big reason. But the other is customer service. You know, right. people, uh, you know, they, they, they go where they're invited and they return to where they're made to feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a, a big thing that, as you said, you know, there are shops that get that and they're doing great with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think of all these different shops, you know, Trouts in Denver and Front Range Anglers in, in Boulder, mm-hmm. River's Edge here in, in Bozeman, you know, Scotty Wessels and Bear's Den out in Boston. I mean, these are these retailers that get it. Yeah. They're so good at running their business because they're good at taking care of their customers. Yeah. You know, they're good at recruiting new anglers into the sport of fly fishing and they're, they're great at retaining the customers that they do bring into the sport. Yeah, and I mean, fly fishing is a sport that that breeds passion am- amongst those that that get into it and stay into it. But yeah. you, less and less is it this uh, sport that is going to be someone's kind of end all be all activity. You're seeing a lot more people get into, and as it should be, a, a sport that you know you can strap your rod to your backpack when you go on a hike or when you go on a mountain bike ride. It's it's an also ran of to your uh, outdoor activities doesn't have to be the the one end all be all thing that you're really into and especially in folks that aren't in Bozeman or Missoula or even you know Denver or you know there's a lot of urban environments where people are excited about getting outside and look forward to the opportunities to get outside and and get on the water but those days are uh, few and far between there it's a precious commodity yeah. you know and 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 we talk about that all the time with our team here is you know these are people where you know, while money is important, it's not the most important aspect. You know, mm-hmm. the, the most valuable resource they're dealing with is their time. 
mm-hmm. and they want it, you know, well spent. They want to be taken care of, and they want a great experience. And now, I don't care if you're headed to your local brook trout stream, you know, for a, an afternoon that you're sneaking in or heading halfway around the world for two weeks of adventure, you know, off the grid fishing. That doesn't change. You know, yeah. time is a, is a valuable resource and people want it well spent for sure. Absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, things are strong and it's really exciting for us to see, um, you know, growth in our, our audiences at the film tour and, and new faces all the time coming into it. And, and, you know, they look at these films and they look, you know, they're going to see, um, you know, this new Confluence film that's coming out. And, and that's, you know, Seychelles might is in all likelihood a spot they'll never go, but it's right. it, it is. Uh, um, inspirational and it's an opportunity for them to go man i might not go there but boy am i walking out of the theater fired up to go fish somewhere somewhere yeah and you know i love the fact that you know whether it's us being able to take them there for an hour of their lives or you know someone who's who's you know made a quick video and it's a five minute short in the film tour um you know that's probably the coolest thing and 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 i gotta tell you that the film tour the reason we've been a sponsor here at Yellow Dog since day one of the film tour and the efforts is, you know, there's nothing like it. We love it. You know, it, it's done so many good things for the industry. It gets people excited about fly fishing. And my favorite thing is when I talk to someone who's kind of new to the sport, they go, they sit through a couple hours of the film tour, they come out and they say, man, I, I had no idea. I had no idea you could catch all those different species mm-hmm. on a fly and that you could go to Africa and you could go to South America and you could go to the, you know, the middle of the Pacific and catch these species on a fly. You know, I thought it was a bunch of old guys standing yeah. in the stream wearing tweed jackets and, you know, casting dry flies. This sport is really cool. And you hear that all the time at the film yeah. tour. It's yeah. just, uh, you know, it's one of the most dynamic things that we have going on in our industry right now. And, and we're thrilled to, you know, have been a part of it from the get go and look forward to being a part of it for a long time to come. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And, you know, it wouldn't be that the case without the filmmakers that keep putting out some, some pretty, uh, amazing content, the, the, the caliber of which grows every year, yeah, um, every you year. know, you mentioned conservation and, and, and bringing new folks into the, the, the fight to preserve, you know, yeah. fisheries in general, you know, cold water fisheries in particular here in the U S are, um, you know, uh, face a lot of challenges and, um, the, the pendulum of, of, um, the focus of the films that we receive from, you know, swings back and forth from year to year for a while. Like the, the beef was, Oh, it's just fish porn. Like there's no story. Where's the message. And right. you know, that's, we, the, an audience had kind of been trained up and they'd seen, uh, seen those films and that was exciting for a while. And then they're looking for more story or they're looking for, for more from those films and also the manufacturers that support or, you know, industry partners that support a lot of these films were asking that of filmmakers too. And, yeah. and last year we had uh, a tour that had a lot of uh, conservation messaging in the films that were submitted to us. And it's certainly, a, a, you know, a, a priority for us. But um, I was surprised at some of the, the, uh, the kickback that we got from folks that were, that were frustrated by some of that stuff. But um, we certainly have heard it and, and we're, are reminded of the fact that, you know, this is an opportunity for folks to get together, have a beer with their buddies, you know, high five and get fired up to go fish. Yeah. And that's, what's going to get folks, um, you know, in, in the game and interested, uh, with how to protect these fisheries and the resource going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, I've heard that in the past, you know, some of the films might be a little too preachy, but the bottom line, here's what sets fly fishing apart from NASCAR and golf, you know, mm-hmm. no offense to those sports and their followings, but you know, people that fly fish are conservation minded. You know, we care about mm-hmm. the places where fish live. We care about issues like access. It's a fairly politically connected, politically astute 
crowd of you know participants that are by and large paying attention. Right. And so it's hard to be, I think, an active, engaged fly fisherman and not be aware of and concerned of a lot of these issues. You know, it's what sets us apart from from golfers and um, you know a, a lot of other sportsmen, even mm-hmm. outdoor sportsmen. Right. So you know, yeah, it's it's a it's a crowd that you know at times gets a little political, gets a little militant, gets a little uh, you know progressive and engaged. But you know, hey, we have to. I mean, it's you know without these resources, without the access that we have, without you know places where these species can you know continue to exist and thrive. You know, we don't have a sport. You right. know, it's pretty easy to draw these these lines and yeah. uh, and say, hey, you know, it, it is it is of utmost importance to uh, people that fish. Simple yeah. as that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I think uh, as mentioned, the the health of the industry, the growth of new folks coming into the sport and getting fired up to get out on the water um, is is strong and and yeah. and getting stronger and and. We're fired up about a, another uh, uh, lap around the country starting here in January, and yeah, we'll be absolutely uh, back here in Bozeman on uh, the 26th uh, of January. So it's always a great show. Uh, such a fun, fired up, fishy crowd here. So we're really looking forward to it. Uh, Jim, I'm gonna let you get to it, man. I know you're super busy. You got a big day in front of you. you just got back from the Seychelles, so. Uh, but I really appreciate the time, and, and I look forward to doing it yeah. again sometime. Well, thanks for uh, bringing the whiskey in, and yeah, uh, my pleasure. For- uh, sitting through my mumbling jet lag. Um, not at all, man. Not I got, I, uh, fell asleep last night at like seven, uh, on the couch and I, I woke up, I was wide awake at two o'clock this morning. So, you know, it takes a little bit for that reentry process when you, when you move 12 time zones, but, uh, no doubt this is great. I love it. Love you. You stopping by and, and man, it's always fun to have you guys in Bozeman and, uh, we're looking forward to another great year. Cool, man. Well, enjoy the day. Good luck getting over Thanks, jet Ryan. lag and we'll see you soon. Awesome. Take care. Thanks.